Amen. Amen. This morning we'll be reading from Ephesians 6, Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 24. And it reads, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak, so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Would you join me in prayer? Yahweh, the mere mention of your name thrills our soul. You are worthy of all praise and glory and honor. Lord, forgive us when we fall victim to rebellious attitudes and behaviors. You have destined us for so much more. We pray that you would equip and empower us to live now as citizens of your eternal kingdom, that you would enable us to live lives that honor you truly as king. Lord, daily we rise by your grace to live another day in this world, and it seems that evil and suffering worsen each and every day if we have not hope in your salvation we would be in despair but we do have hope your first advent gave us what we need your atoning work complete and unstoppable your faithful promise to not abandon but to dwell in us and provide for us your assurance that you would return for all who believe this gospel. Lord, we pray that you will complete your full and perfect restoration of all things, that you would enable us to keep our eyes focused upward and looking for your appearing. 
Keep our hearts hopeful and restful, confident in a glorious kingdom. Father, I pray that you will bring conviction to bear upon the lost. Convince and convict of sin against you and the only true hope in Christ. Regenerate hardened hearts. Turn them into new and living hearts of flesh. Father, we pray that you might give the gifts of repentance for sin and faith in Christ alone. Now, Father, give us ears to hear your word. Make me your spokesman, pure of heart and clear of speech. Anoint our time. May it truly be sacred and transformative. I pray that you might guard us, Lord, from every distraction, every thought that bears upon our minds from busy lives, that you'd make these moments together eternally significant for your glory and for your honor. But we ask it in Christ's name, amen. Living according to God's instruction is not easy in this world in which we reside. In fact, we should expect trying to live for Christ to be challenging. <clears throat> Husbands loving their wives as Christ loves the church. Wives submitting to husbands as unto the Lord. Children obeying parents and honoring them as they would Christ. For parents to shepherd their children as God's stewards. For employees to labor, to labor under good and bad bosses alike as for the Lord. For bosses to supervise, manage, and steward those in their charge as workers for the Lord. This creation is not as God created it, nor is it as it will be in the future. God created Adam and all humanity to steward this world, this creation, to be vice regents, if you were, under his purposes, under his plans, and according to his power. But Satan has usurped that role. And he administers destruction and death and sorrow and suffering. Christ came to reclaim and to restore what's been lost. His sacrificial death and resurrection did just that, redeeming God's creation. Now he's making all things new. He's on this trajectory, making it as he created it to be, as he's always intended for it to be. And one day, that restoration will be fully realized and Satan will be forever vanquished. But for now, for now, we who are in Christ live amid brokenness and destruction. We're citizens of a new kingdom that is coming. Christ is our true king. Even as we live as aliens in this world, this is what we know as spiritual warfare. This is what we know as spiritual combat, if you will. And it's going on each and every day 
in a myriad of ways in each of our lives. Our text this morning helps us to understand this, to appreciate it more, and to be equipped and empowered to navigate it according to God's design and plan. He tells us that we're to be strong in the Lord. We're to be strong in the Lord. Well, we all want to be strong in the Lord, right? There's no one in here that wants to be weak. You're not praying for that, are you? But what does it mean? And how is it accomplished? This text helps us understand this. We can and will be strong in the Lord by taking up and putting on the whole armor of God, he says, by standing firm against the enemy's schemes, and by praying at all times in the Spirit. That's, that's basically what he says here. Taking up, putting on the whole armor of God, standing firm, resisting the enemy's schemes, and praying at all times in the Spirit. So there are basically two points this morning, several sub-points, but two main overarching points that I want us to think about this morning from this text. We're going to talk about the believer's imperative here to be strong, to be strong, to stand against the enemy's schemes and the believer's preparation. How do we do that? How do we successfully navigate this spiritual combat that is going on even as we speak? So let's think first of all about the believer's imperative. Finally, he says, be strong in the Lord. In other words, from this moment forward, from this moment forward, given everything that we've said up to this point, Paul's writing this letter. He's writing to encourage those in the faith that all things are working for God's glory. All things are working to honor and exalt Christ. From this moment on, finally, he says, be empowered. Be empowered by the power that comes from Christ himself. This is the only way that we can navigate this world in which we live. It refers to a supernatural power here. It's God's power. You and I are no match. We're no match for the evil that abounds in this world. We're no match for the enemy. But... In Christ, positioned in Christ, equipped and empowered by Him, we can navigate. We can be victorious day by day, even as aliens in this fallen world. In chapter 1 of this book, we saw that God's people are chosen from eternity past. They are chosen in Christ we're placed in union with Christ. We're not standing on the outside looking from afar at some arbitrary savior or hero. We are positioned in Christ, the son of the very living God. We're in Christ and it's all for the praise of his glory. Chapter two, we understand that we once were dead in sin. Lost, hopeless, dead. Dead is dead, right? It's not a flicker of life. It's not with some kind of innate power that we could 
suddenly open our eyes and make a decision to follow Christ, but we are dead, hopeless in and of ourselves. But by grace, through faith, in Christ alone, through his finished work, he makes us new creatures. He gives us new life. He, may, he places us in a new race of people. The descendants of Adam are dead. But in Christ, we become part of a new living family, adopted into the family of God. And we then, as God's people, are his workmanship. This is what Paul's written. You in Christ are his workmanship, created for good works. So do them. So do them, he says. And he begins to unpack and show how this looks in the believer's life in a hostile environment like this fallen world. He says that there are no longer any dividing walls. It happens every day, isn't it? Part of the spiritual warfare are all the divisions, the separatists that are constantly working to put us against one another, putting us in different camps, developing hostilities, breeding hostilities among us. That's no longer true for those who are in Christ. We now are one body in Christ, he says. One body. There are no divisions. There are no divisions. Christ is no respecter of height, breadth, color. You see, when you're in Christ, we all are to look like Christ. Not bear the distinctives of this fallen world any longer. We put off the old self, he says, and we put on the things of God. We put on the new ways of living, things that look like Christ. We are to take care how we live, aliens in an unfriendly, dangerous world where there's warfare going on, but we can be strong in the Lord. Strong in the Lord. This week, I was navigating some travel, uh, some uh, traffic, and um, I looked up and there was a young lady crossing uh, two or three lanes of traffic on foot amid all these cars. Nathan was there. You saw it. Luke was there. We all went, what is she doing? She's 5'4", 120 pounds maybe, average, you know. She's no match for anything on that road. And yet she was walking across, navigating those things, walking in a very risky and dangerous situation. All it would take would be one false step or someone being overly aggressive, and it could have been devastating for her. Now, had you put her, George, in one of those articulated trucks, I found out this week what an articulated truck is, or an armored tank and brought her across the road, she had a much better chance of making it, right? In fact, we might say that she would make it just fine. And this is what Paul is telling us, that trying to live this life in and of our own power and flesh is as hopeless as that girl trying to navigate all that traffic in just her fleshly body. But in Christ, 
We have one who has already won the battle, one who has already successfully navigated this world, one who is perfect. In him, we have strength and power to move through this world, even in the midst of all this spiritual warfare, successfully. Be strong, be supernaturally empowered, only in Christ, by His Holy Spirit. J.B. Phillips said it this way, he said, In conclusion, be strong, not in yourselves, but in the Lord, in the power of His boundless resource. So how can we? How can we be strong in Christ? I mean, it's easy to come in here and theoretically talk about this, right? As we gather Sunday inside the church where we all basically are a lot alike, no dividing walls. But what about out there tomorrow? What about Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday as the world seems to be working at every turn against you? Well, he tells us how believers can prepare themselves to be strong in the Lord. He says, first of all, we should put on the whole armor of God. Take up, put on the whole armor of God. As believers, this is available to us. Put off the old self. Put off the things that naturally beset us, things like doubts and fears, and temptations, and affections of the flesh, and desires for pleasure. Put those things off, and take up and put on the whole armor of God. So how do you do that? How do you do that? I know how to take this sweater off and put a coat on. You do too. And that's kind of the language that Paul's using, but he's using it in application to spiritual life. So how do we put off and put on these things? Well, to give you just a general idea here, it comes through reading and meditating and studying God's Word and through prayer. That's why these things are so important in the daily of our lives. This is where we become equipped for this journey this loaded spiritual minefield that we're walking through. These are the things that we eat and digest and devour and meditate on and pray over and realize the weaknesses and the, and the shortcomings and the, the frailties in our own flesh and how we desperately need to lean into Christ. He gives us six pieces of armor Six pieces of armor. Now, you won't find these at REI or at the military outlet store. These are spiritual pieces. There's, there's a, a metaphoric teaching going on here. But I don't want you to get lost in that because they are actual pieces of armor that we apply to our lives. First of all, he says there's the belt of truth. The belt of truth. The ESV says, having fastened on the belt of truth. Some translations, if you have a KGV, may say gird. To gird around oneself the belt of truth. We know how to fasten a belt, right? 
you know, you put it on snug. For some of us, it fits more snug than others. But you put it on. What do you do that for? Why do you wear a belt? (laughs) I was preaching one time. This is probably more information than you want to know. Preaching one time, and I had a belt malfunction. And my pants kept sliding down. And I had to call a timeout and go to my corner and fix the belt so that I could proceed. It's to keep it's to keep things close to the flesh, right? It keeps things close to us. And this is what Paul's saying. The belt of truth. With ancient clothing, they wore robes. And if you were going for a long walk, if you were going to walk over to the city of Alpharetta this afternoon, and you had these long flowing robes, it only made sense for you to pick them up away from the ground and bind them about your waist, holding them close to you so that they wouldn't get caught on things along the ground or get tangled up in your own feet. Peter uses this same uh, idea when he talks about girding the mind, binding the mind. Gird up your loins of your mind, he says. The idea is to tighten up, to guard against undisciplined thoughts and desires. And the same idea is present here in this passage. Bind up, gird up your loins with truth. What's truth? We live in the spin zone, don't we? Everything's a spin. And it's turned all of us into cynics. To skeptics. The result is a truth vacuum. John 17, 17, Jesus prayed for us, for believers. He said to God, sanctify them, what? In truth. Your word is truth. This is why this is so important. As you are meditating and feeding upon the word of God praying over the Word of God, you are putting the belt of truth around your body. You are binding up the spiritual aspects of your life in God's Word, by His Word, so that there's not undisciplined thinking, not undisciplined behavior taking place. Psalm 119, 160 says, The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. And later in verse 165, he says, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Those, those who bind themselves by the word of God, who put the belt of truth about their lives, and cinch it, they don't stumble. They know the peace that God provides. There's the belt of truth. Then he says there's a breastplate of righteousness. Now, this is a piece of armor. You've seen movies. You know how this works. The breastplate started here at the throat and went down to the midsection of the body. And it covered this portion, the torso portion. Now, why is that significant? Because in the torso, you have all of your vital organs, right? Apart from your brain, 
You have the heart. You have the lungs. You have all those things that are, as Barney said, where it gets kind of close in there. And so they had this, this shield, this breastplate that was made out of metal in many cases, fire-resistant metal, or it could be made out of other things, but it had, it had leather and then maybe had this piece of thick metal attached here in the center to guard and protect the vital organs. Now, this is not helpful for us in spiritual warfare. It doesn't matter how much outer clothing you may put on to protect yourself. Spiritually speaking, it's not going to help you. But a breastplate of righteousness is necessary to guard against the devil, against the devil's attacks, against the devil's fiery darts, against his weapons, protecting that which is vital spiritually in us. Guarding our deepest desires, guarding our deepest affections, guarding our deepest appetites with His righteousness. Not ours. Remember, our righteousness is what? As filthy rags. It's of no value. But His righteousness. We place His righteousness about us. Again, being in the Word of God, meditating upon the Word of God, in prayer, Seeking God's protection of all those vital things within us so that the enemy can't penetrate, that the enemy can't do damage to that which is important in us spiritually. To guard us with what is pure, what is right, what is holy. Things that are left unguarded makes us vulnerable to carnal desires, to temptations and appetites. But by prayer, meditation in God's Word, we guard against these vulnerable appetites. Then he says there are shoes of the gospel of peace. Footwear is critical, isn't it? It's, it's critical in everything. You know, ladies, if you're going out shopping, you need good footwear on your feet, don't you? Are you like some of the ladies in my house who shall remain nameless? And you come in after you've been out shopping or doing those things and you pop those shoes off and you go, why do we wear shoes like that that hurt our feet? I don't know. Happens to me too. Footwear is important. It's important if you're going on a hike. It's very important. If you're in an athletic competition, it's important. If you're going to be a soldier, it's crucial. As your feet go, so go the rest of you. You lose traction and fall, this is failure. This is defeat. Or if you end up with injured or tender feet, it can render you helpless, weak, and vulnerable. How can you stand firm if you've got sore, tender feet? James 4, 7 says, We submit ourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We're not instructed or exhorted to pursue a fight with the enemy. We're told to stand firm. To resist. We're not the aggressor. We're not on the offensive. We just stand our ground. The shoes for the feet, he says, are having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This is a proactive picture. There is some aggression involved here. There is a proactive nature to this. 
shodding our feet with the shoes of the gospel of peace. What's he saying? That we be moving forward with the gospel. One of the greatest ways that we can counter Satan's schemes anywhere and any time is by being proactive with the gospel. Preaching, proclaiming the gospel to all that we encounter. We've recently talked about the Great Commission and, and its importance to us as a church. As we go, as we go through life, make disciples. We make disciples by proclaiming the gospel and trusting God to call unto himself those that are his elect. Isaiah 52 and 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who published peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe you think your feet are pretty. Mine are pretty ugly. Feet are not attractive. You know, they stuck inside shoes all the time. They're, they're just not attractive. But the feet of those who come bringing the gospel. Scripture makes much of this. Not only in Isaiah, but it's repeated again in Nahum chapter 1 and verse 15 and Romans 10, 13. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. There's a powerful picture of this, I believe, in the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 7. And there Jesus had been invited to a dinner party hosted by a Pharisee. A Pharisee that fits the stereotype of Pharisees. He's all full of himself and his self-righteousness. But Jesus comes in, and when you were having a dinner party back in those times, it was customary for the parties invited to, to lie around the table, and other people from out in the community were allowed to come in and stand around the inside wall and observe. And so it was, uh, it was just common for that to happen. But that night, there was a lady, a prostitute from the community that came in. She heard that Jesus was going to be there. And she came to him, and the scripture says that she had bought expensive ointment, expensive perfume. And that she wet Jesus' feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. Not taking a rag and just any water and cleansing his feet like a good host would do, but she took the tears of brokenness from herself and used that with her own hair, which Scripture says is her own glory. A woman's glory is her hair, right? He took that, or she took that, and she used it to clean Jesus' feet and anointed his feet. Preparing him, preparing his body, the Scripture says, for his work of atonement. But I think there's something here to be said for those that go forth with the gospel of peace. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And this woman was certainly lost, broken by her own lostness and appreciative of the gospel and hope that Jesus brought. The gospel itself readies our feet giving protection and solid footing. 
But then he says there is a shield of faith. A shield of faith. A Roman, a Roman soldier had a shield that was maybe four feet tall and two and a half feet wide. Made out of, out of um, metal so it could not burn. Or if it was made out of leather or uh, wood, then it would be soaked in water. So that it would become waterlogged as such. One of the great developments was when they learned to take a bow and arrow. You know, a bow and arrow can be a pretty devastating weapon in the hands of someone who knows how to use it. But when they were able to do that and attach fire to the end of those arrows and send those arrows in, that was a pretty devastating weapon. You could pierce the flesh of a soldier and at the same time catch his tunic on fire and literally burn him to death in just a matter of moments. But these shields of faith, the Scripture says, extinguish, extinguish the fiery darts that the enemy sends in our way. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Above all, taking up the shield of faith. It implies that the shield of faith may be the most important piece of armor that we have. When the enemy's launching these devastating arrows, the shield of faith extinguishes Satan's artillery. What are these flaming darts that he mentions? Well, they're thoughts, they're ideas that influence our mind away from God's righteousness. You know, when you most encounter these, I'm giving you a moment to think. Probably this morning when you awoke, Sunday morning, what do we do on Sunday? We gather for worship, right? There are probably things that went through your mind this morning that would have been excuses not to be here, not to gather with God's people. Or if you sit down to read your Bible and pray, is it easy for your mind to be singular focused in those moments? I don't think it is. That's when, if I am having trouble remembering what's on my to-do list, all I need to do is stop and pray. Everything that's on my to-do list will immediately rise to the top in my brain. Yeah, happens. When I should be focused on the Lord and His Word and hearing what He wants to say to me, that's when my mind wants to wander and go after all of these other things. This is the enemy working to distract, to divide. Temptations that assail us, fleshly gratification, pleasure, reactions to various trials, anger, cynicism, retaliation. These are flaming darts that come at the enemy's hand. Slander, accusations, defensiveness, defeat. The shield of faith. Believing the gospel. Holding faith in Christ. Trusting him that all of these things, all these things that are assailing me are not going to bring harm, not going to bring defeat, but that in him I have victory over them. The shield of faith. And then he says there's the helmet of salvation. 
What's a helmet for? Well, it protects the head, protecting the mind. Satan thrives when he influences our mind away from God's righteousness. He puts sinful, wicked ideas in our minds, twists our right thinking. He uses all sorts of things to trigger our thinking away from holiness. The helmet of salvation is a call to guard our minds from Satan's lies. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 8, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love for a helmet, for a helmet, the hope of salvation. Satan wants to fill us with hopelessness. He wants us to give up. In Christ, the victory is guaranteed. You can live in that reality or live according to Satan's alternative reality. Far too often, we trade our victory for hopelessness. So how do we put on the helmet of salvation? Filling your mind with God's truth. Filling your mind with God's truth. Majoring on His promises. Majoring on His promises. Not the whispers from the enemy. Not the things coming from the periphery. But trusting that what God has said is true. And that He and He alone will bring it to pass. Praying these promises. Meditating on them. Preaching the gospel to yourself. Then he gives us the sword of the Spirit. This is the Word of God. Unlike other armor pieces, this sword is both defensive and offensive. One who's skilled with a sword uses it to block the opponent's attacks and can use it offensively to thrust at the opponent. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. These other pieces are defensive by nature, and the sword is defensive by nature, but it can also be used offensively. It has supernatural power. Supernatural power to defeat and destroy Satan's schemes. Jeremiah 23, 21, 29. It is not, my, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. We like to live in a world that espouses happily ever after. We prefer smooth and easy journeys the spiritual life is not intended to be smooth nor easy. Romans 8.18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 2 Corinthians 4.17 and 18, This light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. The things that we see are temporal. They're passing away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. 
You know the areas where you're most vulnerable to Satan's schemes? Do you? Where are the places that he most often trips you up? Have an issue with anger? Is it anxiety? Lustful eyes? Arrogance? Pride of life? Critical spirit? See, the enemy knows us better than we know ourselves sometimes. These are the places where he comes to roost. But the scripture tells us, listen, if you have an anger problem, Psalm 37, 8 says, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. We saw here in Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Anxiety. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything. This is what the Lord writes to us, says to us. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You're anxious? Are you worried, concerned about something? Make your requests of God. Don't waste your energies fretting about it. Make your requests known to God. Is he not able? Does he not love you? Did he not condescend to come and die on a cross for you? Surely he can handle your rent. Surely he can handle your job. Surely he can handle your relationships. Surely he can handle your health. Lustful eyes. Psalm 141, 8 and 9, but my eyes are toward you, O God. My Lord, in you I seek refuge. Leave me not defenseless. Keep me from the trap that they have laid for me and from the snares of evildoers. Arrogance, pride, irritability. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. But that's just the way I am. <laughs> not in Christ. Not in Christ. You see, the way that you were has died. Now you are a new creature in Christ. You have new power. You have new capabilities. Critical spirit, Romans 14.10 says, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, all of us. Every last one of us will give an account. Put-downs, making fun of, criticism, sarcasm, blatant hostility are the world's ways of reacting to the faults of people. And Scripture exhorts us as Christians against behaving this way. Our thinking and attitude must be renewed by the Word of God, which teaches us to bear the infirmities of the weak, to love and show compassion and encouragement. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, which is accomplished by the word of God. 
So we put on this armor. But quickly, we have power to stand in him. Put on the whole armor of God. It's like sinking into a warm overcoat. It's like crawling into a warm bed and just being swallowed up by it. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes. When we take him at his word and apply his armor, we can stand. We stand and resist. Not one place does he say, take up your arms and chase him down and slay him and bind him up in Jesus' name. No. He says, we don't need to fear him. We should expect him not to fear him, but to stand firm. Resist the devil. Resist him. You have supernatural armor protecting you. Your protection is in God's hands. It's up to him. You don't have to fight. Just resist. Stand firm and resist. And then he says we have prayer. Pray. Prayer and God's word are indispensable. Right? We hit on it in almost every one of these pieces of armor. Prayer and God's word are indispensable. They're the air you breathe, the food you eat as a, as a Christian. You can't, you can't, you cannot expect to navigate this fallen world, this minefield, without this and without communication with the Father. You will remain frustrated and defeated and sorrowful and wallowing in failure over and over and over and over and over again. He says, we have assured victory. Success is ours. Now, God's success may look different than what your expectations are. But it is ours in him. Feeding upon the word of God, putting the word of God in, and communicating with God, sharing our every fear and sorrow and hurt and problem with him, the, one, the only one who can do anything about it, and asking for his wisdom and guidance and direction and protection. Praying in the Spirit, he says, always. Jesus called the Holy Spirit a counselor, one who is called alongside, who encourages and exhorts us. He reveals to our mind the whole counsel of God. You can't read the Word of God without the Spirit of God. You can't. It's like those Pharisees. It's like those, those lost people that Jesus would share parables and they were sitting there scratching their heads trying to figure out what he said. You need the Spirit of God to open up the things of God. But that's the promise when you're in Christ. He is our ultimate guide, going before us, leading the way, removing obstacles, opening our understanding, empowering us to move forward with Christ, not on our own.
not on our own. He leads the way. We should go in all spiritual things. This present world is not what God created. This present world is not what God created. And we're part of it. But believe the gospel. He came to make a new way. He came to change the old. Put your faith and trust in him. In Christ, we have an imperative to be strong. And in Christ, we have the resources to do what he has called us to do. Pray with me. Father, we thank you and bless you for who you are. What a great and glorious gospel is ours. What hope we have in Christ Jesus. I pray this morning for that soul that's here this morning and struggling with this world, trying to do things in and of themselves and failing at every turn, feeling the fear and the frustration and the doubt and the hopelessness and the despair. I pray that even now your spirit would pierce the heart and bring new life, Regenerate the heart. Bring the gift of repentance and faith to bear upon that life. Lord, for those of us who know you as Savior but find ourselves struggling each and every day in this world, I pray that you would help us. Lord, give us eyes to recognize that you have given us everything we need in this life to navigate this world in a way that glorifies you and continues to strengthen and sanctify us as your people. Lord, make it so here at Milton Community Church for the sake of the community in which we live. And Lord, again, for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.